go ahead and open up your Bible, if you have one, um, to 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you have your study, just go ahead and open up to where we were this, uh, this past week. And if you forgot all of that, don't worry, we're going to have it on the screen for you. And so um, as we've been going along in this study um, known as Hail the King, we're looking at the life of David, um, Israel's greatest king. And so as we've been going through it this, this, uh, this week, um, we have begun to, to see David in his kingdom reigning and some of the things that he's beginning to do. Um, so if you read ahead this week, you know where we're going. We, you know what's coming up. Um, but what I want to do is real quick, if it's your first time here, haven't been here in a while, or like, hey, I, I don't even understand what this series is all about, let me catch you up. So David is now king. Um, Saul, the first king of Israel, has now died. Um, and last week, we looked at David after he has come into his kingdom. And what he begins to do is he begins to establish his kingdom. And he looks to God and he says, God, hey, here's my plan. But God gives him a different plan. He says, that's fine. I will abandon my plan and I will follow your plan. And so that brings us up to um, today, but there's a little bit of context. And so what we see after that covenant uh, that God makes with David, David goes on to win some battles. He is victorious in war battles that he engages with or that other nations engage with him. And so as we look to chapter eight, that's a lot of what that is, is it's talking about the victories that David is winning on behalf of Israel, the nation that God has appointed. And so what we see as we bring that context in is God is continuing to fulfill that promise that he made to David. So that brings us today uh, to chapter 9. Um, and what I'd love for you to do is focus your attention to nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 7, and this is what it says. It says, And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. And um, Father, I pray that as we um, engage with your word, as we dig into your word this morning, it's my prayer, Father, that this is the continuation of our labors from this week as we have looked into your word. And so it's my prayer, Father, that as we do that, we would be able to know what you're calling us to do, that we'd be able to see what it looks like to care for others, to genuinely care for others. Um, Father, I pray that as we see this, we would not just see Israel's greatest king in David, but Father, that we would see the, the, the preamble of what is to come in your son, that we catch glimpses and tastes of what it looks like to have a great king, only to be blown away by the person and the king of Jesus. And so, Father, um, help us to see your word, help us to hear your word and feel your word this morning. Take it out of this place so that others can experience the kindness that you offer. Uh, thank you for today, Father. Thank you for Sunday mornings. Thank you for these students and their um, desire to come and to learn more about you and your son. So be with us this morning, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's jump right in this morning. Um, and my question for you is, who is that person in your life who has been incredibly kind to you? Who is the person in your life when you were in like a low season, a low moment of your life, 
when you had lost some hope, who is that person who came in and showed incredible kindness to you? Maybe a lot of the times in this, in this room, we talk about that student at the lunch table who eats alone. Maybe we talk about that student who's on the team who's constantly getting yelled at by the coach and never really understanding what they're doing wrong. Like maybe you have, have seen a time in your life where you have been that person, where you have felt isolated and you have felt alone in your life. But maybe it's my hope that you can say, when I was in that season, when I was in that moment, when I was in that class, that day at that lunch table, when I was feeling it the heaviest, there was somebody that stepped in and they showed incredible kindness to me. And maybe not for pride's sake, but for understanding it's the, the, the things that Christ is doing within you. Maybe you can identify a time in your life where you say, I saw someone like that and I extended kindness, not because it was my desire, but because it was the desire of Christ within me. And that's why I chose to do it. I think when we look at our lives, we can find small moments of kindness that other people are pouring into our lives and small moments of kindness that we are pouring into other people's lives as well. But here's, here's the reality, here's where some of us are, is there are moments where we are at our wit's end when we are not understanding how to continue on and somebody steps into our lives. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you look at your life and you go, I am at that moment right now where I need somebody to step into my life and display kindness because I just need to know that someone out there genuinely cares. Like, you know that your mom and your dad, they, they do authentically care for you. I mean, for heaven's sakes, their mom and dad. You may know that brothers and sisters and siblings genuinely care for you, but you go, I need somebody to break up this shell that I have around me to help me see that there are people that care about me in my circumstances and in my situation right now. And I think as we look at this account, we see that this kindness we see an incredible image of what kindness looks like as we see David sharing that with someone else. And so let's jump in here. Let's jump into chapter 9, verse 1. This is what it says. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And so as, uh, hopefully as you were reading through this this week, this is familiar to you. But one of the things that, that I love is, is, is it goes, David says to, he says to his, 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 his nation, he says to his um, officials, he says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And so David is asking this question, assuming that there is no one left of the house of Saul. That there is no one left that when Saul had died, when he was conquered in battle, all of the, 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 the sons and the daughters and all of those connected to Saul had been killed. And so he's expecting them to say, sir, we've looked all over and, the, and, and there's not anyone left. But I love how David says this. He goes, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And so we look back. If you weren't here a few weeks ago, we know that Jonathan and David had an incredible relationship, so much that they made an oath to one another that their relationship, even though they were not constantly and regularly interacting with one another, they said, let's allow our relationship, our covenant, our oath that we have made to one another to be for one another and not against one another. Let us do that so that future generations feels that. And so David looks at his life. He knows the friend that he had in Jonathan. And so his question to his officials, to the nation of Israel, is, 
Is there anyone left of the house of Saul so that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Verse 2, it says, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness, the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And so one of the things that I want us to observe here, David calls in this servant, the servant of the house of Saul. He knows, uh, David assumes that there's no one left in the house of Saul who is in his direct lineage, but he knows that there are people, Saul's estate and Saul's property that he owned, there are still servants who are managing this property and managing this estate. And so what he does is he calls and he has this man named Ziba come in so that he can speak with him. And Ziba was loyal to Saul in, in all the right ways, he was loyal to Saul. And so he knows what is to come. He also knows that David is now the king. And so he says, he, Ziba says to him, he says, I am your servant. And the king, David said, is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? In this moment, Ziba isn't sure, isn't fully sure of David's intentions. I mean, he knows that David is king, but also he knows that what previous kingdoms have looked like, both in the nation of Israel and nations outside of Israel, is that the king was always doing whatever he could to protect his throne. And so he's asking this question, and Ziba's not sure what David's true intentions are in this moment. And so Ziba, who's loyal to Saul, knows that Saul's son Jonathan has a son who's still alive, but he's trying to protect him. And so what he does is he says, is there still a son? Is there, is there not someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And so what he does is he does not specifically point to the name. He does not call him out yet because he's still not sure of what David's intentions are as he's looking for this. Maybe Ziba thinks, hey, David's looking for any, uh, anyone in the lineage of Saul to destroy them so that the lineage is cut off and is no more. And so what Ziba does is he responds. He says, yes, there is a son, but he doesn't give him his name so that, you know, for fear that David might go, okay, this person that, that Ziba just named, go find him and kill him. So Ziba is respectful to the king, and he lets him know, hey, there is someone that exists, but he also lets him know that he is not a threat to the throne. He says, this, 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 this son of Jonathan is crippled in his feet. And one of the things that, you know, as we look to, to ancient history and to biblical history, one of the things we, we, we begin to see is that a, a king had to be able to take his nation into war to be able to defend his nation. And he knows that this son of Jonathan is not able to do that. And so he's saying, hey, he does exist, but know that he is no threat whatsoever to your kingdom. He has, this man named Ziba has the interest of Saul, but he also has the interest of David. He is being respectful and showing honor to the current king, but also paying respect to Ziba, or to, to, to Jonathan and to Saul because he knows what they had done for him. And so he says, hey, he does exist, but he is crippled in his feet. He says, the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is at the house of Mashir, the son of Emil, and at Lodabar. 
And King David sent and brought him to the house of Mashir, the son of Emil at Lodabar. And so what we realize from this, what we realize from this is this, this man, this young man, this child of Jonathan, this grandson of Saul, they sent him away so that he would be protected. And Ziba knows where he's at, and he knows that he'll be protected, but he has a feeling in his interactions and who he knows that King David is. He, th- he, th- he says, you know what? I think that he does not mean him harm. I think he means him good. And so we find out that this, that this son of Jonathan is at Lodabar, verse 6, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. So what we find, so Mephibosheth, one of the things we have to understand about him, he was in a distant place. He was not local. He had to travel back to David upon the request of the king. So imagine Imagine the feeling of this grandson of Saul. He knows the relationship that David had with Saul, but he also knows the relationship that Saul had with David. And think about it. Very often you hear stories from grandparents. You catch their version of it and your family's version of it, not necessarily the other person's. And we know that Saul did not like David. And so maybe Mephibosheth is finding himself in this moment where he's going like, "Uh uh-oh, King David is calling to see me. Grandpa and him did not get along. Like grandpa wanted him dead. And so now Mephibosheth is probably finding himself in incredible fear. The other thing that we, that we know is back in this day, the travel would not have been easy for someone who was disabled like Mephibosheth. It wasn't like he was able to just get on a horse and ride to wherever David was calling him. And so this ride, this journey would have physically exhausted him. Fear plus physical exhaustion puts him in the palace with David. And it says that when he gets there, he fell on his face and paid, paid homage. Probably multiple reasons. He fell on his face probably because he's exhausted from the travel. He's exhausted, wondering what David has for him when he gets there. He's probably scared to death. He's like, Grandpa and David did not get along. Grandpa was king, and now David is king. I am in Grandpa's bloodline. What is going to happen to me when I get there? Like incredible fear, physical exhaustion. And so what he does is when he gets there, it says he falls on his face and he pays homage to the king. And David said to And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. He's saying, you know what? Maybe this is my only option. Maybe this is the only way that I survive this. And so he says, King David, as the grandson of the first king of Israel, I am your servant. Brings us to verse 7. It says, And David said to him, Do not fear. Immediately, he understands the 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 mindset of Mephibosheth. He understands where he's at. He understands when he called him, he knows how he felt towards Saul, King David felt towards Saul, but he also knows how it may have been communicated. It may have been communicated to Mephibosheth of how the relationship was. So he understands. He understands Mephibosheth's condition, his physical exhaustion from riding in because of his disability. 
He also understands that there is probably a real fear within this son of Jonathan that he will come before the king and will be put to death. He understands it. And so immediately, the first thing he says to him is he says, do not fear. He says, whatever is in your mind, don't worry about it. You have nothing to fear. I am the king of the nation of Israel. You have nothing to fear. And I have the authority to tell you that. He says, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. There it is. The promise and the oath that Jonathan and David made to one another, that we will have such an incredible relationship that future generations will see it and feel it. We see that starting to come to fruition here. An oath that was made between two friends is now carrying on to the next generation. He says, I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. I love this. David says, essentially, he goes, hey, I'm the king. I have all authority to do whatever I want. I have all authority to do whatever I want to you or with you. But because of, because of the relationship your father and I had, he goes, I'm going to show you kindness. And I'm not going to show you kindness and just allow you to live. He goes, he goes on, he goes a little bit further. He goes, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. There's some big implications when David makes this promise to Mephibosheth. What he's saying is he goes, all of the things that were your grandfather's, the land and the estate, all of those things that you have not been able to take in that because you have been in hiding for fear that one day I or my lineage would come after you. He goes, you have nothing to fear. I am making it known. I'm the king and I have the authority to do so that not only do you have to no longer live in fear, but I am going to give back to you what was Saul's, what was rightfully yours the estate that you were supposed to be given. Here's the thing. What he says to him right here at the end, he says, I will give you back the land of your father and you shall eat at my table always. David gives him a seat at his table the same way, the same way that God has given us a seat at his table. David gives him a seat at the table like an honorable prince that he is. He sees who Mephibosheth is. He is a prince. And so what David does is he gives him a seat at his table so that he can experience the kind of life that he should have experienced, that he deserves to experience. And he will have regular contact with King David. And I love the, that last word. He will have, uh, you, will, you shall eat at my table always. This is not a conditional promise. This is not a temporary promise. This is for always. It's not temporary. He's saying, Mephibosheth, you no longer have anything to fear. And when he says, do not fear, it's not just the fear of his existence and the fear for his life. It is the fear of understanding that maybe not knowing where the next meal is coming from, maybe not knowing that he will be in a place that he is protected. He says, you have nothing to fear and you have a seat at my table always. Verse eight, he says, he paid, he paid homage and said, what is your servant that I should show regard for a dead dog such as that? He, and he goes, he goes, my life. What, why, why are you showing me this kindness? 
He considers Mephibosheth refers to him as a dead dog. He says, who am I that you would show me this kind of kindness? He's taken back. Think of this. Mephibosheth is heading to the palace thinking that he may die. And what David offers him is a spot at his table saying, hey, there is nothing that you need to take care of. Everything will be taken care of for you. What, was, what, what once was your grandfather's, what once was Saul's is now yours. That is your property. That is your estate. But you're not going to live there. You're going to live at my house, at my table, where you have direct access to me, the king. Well, you will not have to worry about anything. Your estate will be taken care of, but I want to have you in my house and in my family so that I can make sure you are taken care of in the ways that you need to be taken care of. You will be treated like the prince that you are. And Mephibosheth, he shows incredible gratitude in verse 8. He shows incredible gratitude. His life has just changed drastically. The hopes of what once was are now starting to come to fruition after he thought that they were dashed to pieces and never going to come to reality. It says in verse 9, Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belongs to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. So he says, Hey, that property that, I, that, you've, been, that you've been taking care of, he goes, I have the authority, I'm king. It's now, hey, that now belongs to Mephibosheth. All of that property that you have found, that you've been taking care of, it is now going to him. It says in this verse 10, and you and your sons, he's speaking to Ziba here, he says, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce and your master's grandson, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. It says, now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And so David spills out his plan for Mephibosheth. He spills out how the kingdom, how the king is going to make sure that he is taking care of this son of Jonathan, this grandson of Saul. He is looking at him and he says, hey, Ziba, you've been taking care of the property? Continue to do that. Actually, your role is about to get a little bit bigger because now there's somebody who actually owns that. You're not just managing an estate that has not been given over to somebody. He goes, I've given that over to Mephibosheth, and now you will manage that that on his behalf. He is the head of that household. But he's not going to be there, Ziva. He's going to be here in the kingdom. And so what that does, what that does is it sets up for Mephibosheth. It sets up that his future children and his generations, the generations that are to come after him, it continues to fulfill the promise and the oath that David made with Jonathan. He's saying, hey, everyone in that household is going to be taken care of. The women and the children, the cousins that are there, this is now going to be a place for the, for the lineage and the family and the bloodline of Saul to live in peace and not live in fear. David makes that promising, so he spells it out for Ziba. The cool thing is, for Ziba, he understands that managing a property like this will also bring him some financial gain. And so he immediately responds, not in a prideful way, not in an arrogant way, not in a greedy way, but he says, or it tells us that Ziba had 15 sons and, 12, and 20 servants. And so what we know is Ziba is well set up to do what the king has told him to do. 
He had the sons and the servants to take care of business. says this, verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So Ziba says, I got it taken care of. I'm going to go do what you have ordered me to do. And we see here that Mephibosheth eats at the table. He stays in the palace. He stays and lives with the king. He has direct access to the king. He feels the love daily of the king because of the kindness that David has shown to Mephibosheth. He now gets to experience what life looks like, feels like, as the prince that he is. We see that he ate at David's table. He lived there. He knew that the, the, the state and the property was well taken care of, that the servant Ziba was doing. He now has no worries whatsoever. It says in verse 12, And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. That's so important. That's the kind of thing, like, as we're reading through this study, as we're getting into it, as we're making observations, as we're making interpretations, and as we're making application for our lives to look and act and be more like the person of Jesus Christ, we can't miss small things like this. Like Mephibosheth had a son whose name was Micah. It continues on. The promise, the oath continues on. It doesn't end with Mephibosheth. Jonathan and David made a covenant with one another. They said, hey, our future sons and grandsons and great-grandsons and great-great-great-great-great-grandsons, it will feel the it will feel the effects of this relationship that we had. And we see that that is true. That is coming to fruition as David shows kindness to one of the sons of Jonathan, but also one of the grandsons of Jonathan. And one of the great-great-grandsons of Saul is feeling this kindness reverberate through their lives. And it continues on. As we look into 1 Chronicles 8 and 9, we see the lineage of Jonathan continue on through Mephibosheth into Micah and on and on and on. This kindness that David displays is a kindness that is felt for generations and generations and generations to come. And I believe we are feeling it still today. I believe it that we are still feeling this today. Because as David shows and displays that kindness, the places where he reaches out to Mephibosheth, I think we see ourselves in Mephibosheth. When we really step back and we see it, David, what he does to show kindness, he takes actions to find this person. He takes actions, he goes out of his way to find this person who is in need. He brings him into the kingdom and shows him incredible kindness. He takes care of his needs, both physical both emotional. He takes care of the needs that Mephibosheth has in his life. And he grants, us, grants him access to his table. He calls him family. And he even gives Mephibosheth access to himself. This is the things that David does, the king. 
And here's the thing I love about looking at the life of David and studying the life of David. This is one of the reasons why I love so much the opportunity weekly to look into God's word, to get into it and to study it, to make grand observations and small observations and to interpret what God's word is saying to us and then to apply it to our lives so that we can share that with others. The one of the things that I love about David's life is the places where we see David at his best. We realize that the best times in his life is the times that he is being most Christ-like. The king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel, only began to set the tone for who the greatest king in all of humankind would become in Jesus. And the things that David did for Mephibosheth, we look to the life of Jesus and we see that he has done for us. Jesus, when we were in need, he didn't say, come to me. He came and found us. He came to this earth, put on flesh and bone so that we can experience a God who loves us. He's not saying, hey, you can find me in heaven. He says, no, I am coming to this earth. I am coming in the form of a baby to live my life, to show others what it looks like to live a life focused on God. And I am going to live that life so so in love with you that I will ultimately give my life for you. Jesus came to this earth to find us. He died on the cross for us so that we can be right with us, so that he can bring us into his kingdom. He shows us incredible kindness. He lays down his life for you and for me. We deserve death because of the sins that we commit. Each and every one of us in here deserves death for what we do against God. And not just not just physical death, eternal death. But Jesus says, I love you enough that I am going to come to your, I'm going to come to you when you are desperate, when you are afraid, when you are disabled, when you are weak, I am going to come to you. This is what Jesus has done for us. We see a glimpse of it in David, but it comes to perfection in Jesus. He goes on, he shows us kindness. He takes care of our needs. Our greatest need is for a savior and he provides that in every single way and he gives us access to his table. Jesus has said, hey, come. This is, this is mine. Come. It is yours. I love you so much. I came to this earth to give it to you so that you can experience the fulfillment of me and my heavenly father. He goes, sin, it has put a wedge between you and me, between you and my father, but I am going to create a way for you to be right with the father and it's gonna come through my blood. Jesus has given us a seat at his table. He calls us his family. Students, you are a son and a daughter of the king on high. Do not forget who you are. When you say, I am beginning a relationship with Jesus, do not forget who you are. Like you are a son. Guys, you are a son of God. You are a son of the king. He's welcoming you. He's saying, come sit at my table. Ladies, you are a daughter of the king. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you are no longer just a student. You are now a son or a daughter of the greatest king who has ever lived and who is still reigning and who will reign forever and beyond. Jesus has given us a seat at the table and he has given us access to himself. The God of the universe sends his son so that we can have direct access to the king 
Mephibosheth thought his world was set when he had direct access to the king of Israel. He didn't even understand what is to come. He he thought that David was the best thing. But what we see, what we have the opportunity to experience is that David is just an image, just a mere reflection of the real king that was to come, that has come, that came to this earth, that lived his life, that went to the cross to die for you and for me and for everyone in here, to die for our sins. When we deserve death, Jesus rightfully He took it on. He said, I want that. I love you so much. I want to give you a seat at the table. I want to show you who I am, and I want to give you direct access to me. This is what Jesus is offering to us. And we see glimpses of that in David, but it comes. And that man comes to this earth, and he dies for our sins, and he lives his life, showing us how we need to live our lives, how we need to treat others gives us a model of what it looks like to live a righteous life so that we can follow him. He died three days later. He rose from the dead. He spent about 40 days connecting with people, and then he went into heaven to prepare a place for you and for me, and he is still sitting on that throne. And thousands upon thousands upon millions upon billions of years from now, he will still be sitting on that throne, and we have the opportunity to have access, direct access to that king. Don't miss the big picture. Don't be so focused on David that we miss it. This book, this collection of authentic, real events does not point to men. It points to Jesus. So don't miss it. Everything that we see that's good in David, the best, when David is at his best, he is most Christ-like in his life. I mean, David does this to show his commitment. He does this to show his commitment to Mephibosheth and to Jonathan and to Saul. David does this to show his commitment to Mephibosheth and to Micah and to all the children that would come beyond. But he shows us this so that we can see a glimpse of who Jesus is. Jesus gave it all for us. He laid down his life for each and every one of us in here so that he could show his true commitment to all of us. And so we see and we experience kindness, not because it was David's kindness, but because of the kindness that comes only from Jesus. Authentic, genuine care. Willing to sacrifice himself for you and for me. We have direct access to the king. What are you doing with that? Have you you found yourself in a position where you say, I want that direct access. I want to walk around this world knowing that I have a savior, knowing that I have a leader of my life and a forgiver of my sins in Jesus. To be able to walk around this world saying, hey, I am pursuing Jesus, knowing what he has done, me, done for me. I am compelled to do that for others, to display this type of kindness towards others so that they cannot just feel kindness, but that they can feel genuine care from a God who desperately loves them. What are you doing with that this morning? How are you showing kindness to others? 
go out not to say, I am the most kind person, not to win the kindest senior superlative in the yearbook, but to say, I display kindness, not for myself, but because Jesus displayed kindness to me in the greatest way ever possible. How are we taking our lives and being kind towards others? What does that look like in your life? What does that look like later today? to display kindness? What does that look like throughout the week as you look to display kindness because of the kindness that Jesus has shown you? We have a seat at his table. Let's invite others to be a part of that. Let's accept that offer that Jesus has made towards us. And then let's share that kindness with others and show others that we have direct access to the king and that makes our lives better because we are not focused on ourselves, but we are focused on others. What does kindness look like in your life?